sure it was December 26th when the Valentine's Day uh, decor and cards and flowers started popping up in the stores. It was immediately after Christmas, so you know it's just around the corner, and we hope you and your spouse are planning to celebrate your relationship in a meaningful way. We're going to be talking today about ways that God defines love, really the bedrock of our marriage relationships. This is the final episode of Season 6 of the Loving Well Podcast. I'm so glad you've joined us. I'm John Fuller, along with my uh, good friends and colleagues, Greg and Aaron Smalley. They lead our marriage team here, and you two have been celebrating Valentine's Day for, what, 31, 32 years? At least. Okay, at least. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are some traditions or memories? You know, it's funny, as you said that, the first thing that came to mind was the very first time we celebrated Valentine's Day. But it wasn't together. It was me dropping off a heart-shaped chocolate chip cookie cake nice. on your porch. What? Yes. She's we weren't making even, that up. We weren't I even no dating, but I, I took a risk, and I put it on your porch. And it worked, I guess. And look at what happened. Yeah, he doesn't remember, but he, but you got the guy, and congrats, <laughs> it was you the, got the it girl. It was the chocolate chip cookie heart yeah. cake. I was going to say, one of my favorite memories is a big chocolate chip cookie thing that Dina made when the kids were younger, and that was when she could pull something like that out of the oven, and we have four kids gobble it up, and I'd get a bite. It was, <laughs> but it was it was really fun to celebrate Valentine's Day with the kids. I will say it's a little more meaningful now that they're out of the house. We can kind of not worry about being you can really celebrate well in any way that we see fit, right? <laughs> see, and after thirty years of marriage, I I don't know if I really did receive a heart shaped cookie. I just have to trust let's, that that's let's, true. Let's take her word for it. And just know that this is a day that probably brings a lot of stress to a lot of people if you don't plan well. And I'm blessed because my dear wife doesn't need a big celebration. She just doesn't like big fancy schmancy things. So I have it pretty made. Uh, Although I tell you my my favorite though. I oh, mean yeah, I like the whole her. yeah. I like the whole heart shaped cookie. My favorite is one Valentine's Day we were actually speaking at a marriage event. So yeah. kind of a little date night a church was putting on in and it was they did a great job. And we all kind of got dressed up and they had a fantastic meal. And so everything was, you know, just looked great, very prim, very proper. And and so they they introduce Aaron and I. And so as as we start to go up, I had my cloth napkin, you know, beautifully set table, that that all kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Candles. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of tossed my napkin as we've been introduced. Yeah. So as we're walking up there, I'm now looking at the crowd and, you know, we're just being playful. All of a sudden I just stop dead in my words and just went, um, can someone go ahead and, and put that fire out <laughs> on our table? So I had tossed the napkin over, accidentally the over the candle oh, and it set it on fire. <laughs> So that was that was a, a memory. Okay, yeah. so you do you you do have Valentine's Day, right? And, and actually, what's so weird is it burned a heart shaped cookie. No, no way. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I think we should move on, and we'll hear we'll have some laughter along the way here with Bob Lapine, 
Uh, he's a radio personality and author and pastor, and uh, he and his wife, Marianne, have been married for over 40 years. They met in college, in fact, and we're going to hear now as Bob describes how uh, the book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, and the famous love chapter, chapter 13, helped him to understand what it really means to love. Let me ask you, in that regard, what was happening? I mean, you're a believer. You're working for Young Life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're graduating college by this point, but when you married Marianne. But but what gave you that premise? Why, why did you feel so light-handed with it? Pop songs and rom-coms. Huh. Honestly, I, you look at this and say, we have a romantic view of love that has been shaped by pop music it's true and romantic comedies in the movies so you watch the hallmark channel and that's where we're catechized on what it means hmm. for love and marriage and that's where we get that sandy view of of what love looks like and if that's as deep as it goes i mean i had a highly romantic view so if i'm having a certain feeling i just say you know man i i love you i love this i love the bible takes a completely different tact. In fact, Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians 13, which was the the kind of the core of this book, what does real love look like? He's scolding a church for a failure to love. We, we read this passage at weddings and we say, love is patient, love is kind, and we put it in romantic terms. Paul wasn't saying it that way. He's saying, look, guys, love is patient. It's kind. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't demand its own way. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I mean, he's scolding these people for their lack of love. Hmm. Love is work boots you got to put on if you're going to make a relationship be a truly loving relationship. And it's so good. And we're going to get into that over the half hour together that, uh, you know, what love actually means. But in that regard, um, when you uh, think of engaged couples, you encourage them in the book to read the fine print. I kind of had two responses to that. One, I get it. Secondly, there's already a lot of fear <laughs> and, and hesitation in family formation yep. with 20, 30-somethings that are worried So I was a little concerned about that, but it's wise to read the fine print. What did you mean by that? Uh, Well, I I think there are two different um, realities when it comes to thinking about marriage as engaged couples. You need to be aware that marriage is, in my view, a wonderful, glorious, it's the most magnificent, it's the deepest kind of a relationship that we can have as human beings. It's wonderful. And it's the hardest relationship you will ever have. Yeah. Those two truths are are simultaneously there. So if you go in with a Pollyanna, oh, this is just going to be wonderful. You go in with the, the what the Beach Boys taught me. It's going to make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be nice? <laughs> so that if you just think this is good, dating is good, marriage is going to be double good, right? That's that's the naive view. The other view is what what you're talking about, Jim, and I think a lot of young people today who watch their parents struggle Struggle. or divorce or not make it work, they look around and go, who can do this? Can anybody do this? My friends can't. My parents couldn't. And they're really afraid that this is an institution that is impossible to be good at. And so we have to say, no, you can thrive in a marriage relationship and it's going to be hard. And let's embrace that. And, you know, Things that are hard are often the best things in life. So. Yeah. And, I, you know, Bob, you, you mentioned this. I, I don't think necessarily the science of it, but, uh, you know, neuroscientists have looked at infatuation and love to the best of their ability, MRI scans, all that kind of thing. 
that typically lasts a year and a half to two years, and yep. then that evaporates. Yep. It's just normal. You get into the routine of relationship. Yep. In the book, you mentioned this difference uh, where in English we have the one word love, but in Greek we have eros and agape love, mm-hmm. and there's a distinction there, and you're pointing to this. Uh, drill into this. This is like Christian boot camp here. Yeah where we really have to understand this distinction that even scientists recognize in our brain science. Right. Yeah, so the the Greeks had a variety of words. They had the word storge that talks about family love and family bonding. They had the word philos, which is a word for deep friendships. David and Jonathan were knit together as brothers. They had a philos, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly Brotherly love. love. And then there's eros, which we get the word erotic. It's for sexual love and sexual desire. And then there's agape. And the interesting thing, and I didn't know this till I was digging in and studying this and writing the book, agape was essentially a Christian invention as a word. J.I. Packer said that this word was not prevalent in Greek literature Hmm. outside and before the the Bible came into being. This idea of self-sacrificing, self-denying love, the greater love that lays down its life for its friends, it it didn't exist in the culture. The, The Greeks and Romans thought humility and laying down your life for somebody else was weakness, not strength. And Christians come along and say, this is the kind of love God has for us. He sends his son who dies for us. We should have this same kind of self-emptying, self-sacrificing love, this agape love. It's a completely different kind of love. There's a verse I love in, in 1 John 3, verse 1, where John says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us. And that word behold means take a good hard look. You've never seen anything like this before. This is a foreign kind of love. And he says, this is what God has lavished on us that we should be called sons of God. And then he goes on to say, and this is how we love one another. This is what Christians do. We look at God's love for us. It pours into us. We spill it out into the lives of others. Man, that is so good, Bob. I mean, this is uh, Christianity 101 right here. The fact that um, you know, that the Lord brought this word into existence around the Christian faith. That right there is exciting mm-hmm. and very intriguing and very like God Yes. to say, oh, I have a different idea of what love means. Well, Bob's pastoral heart really comes out as he shared uh, the deeper meanings of that love chapter, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, such biblical wisdom and uh, insights. And you're going to find more from Bob's heart in the book, Love Like You Mean It which we have copies of, and we're going to link over to it in the episode notes. So we all need some humility in our marriages as we love our spouse. And uh, let's go ahead with that backdrop and continue on and hear more from Bob Lapine in his conversation with Jim Daly. In fact, you mentioned the need for humility and truth in a marriage relationship. It's really true in any relationship, but especially a marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. You, you form this word. I've never heard this before. Humble brag. Um, I think I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Not by personal experience, of course, but humble brag. Yeah. Give us an example of what that is. So a humble brag is when somebody on, on Twitter or on Facebook says, I was so honored to get to be interviewed on Focus on the Family recently. And what they're really trying to say is, hey, look at me. I got I got to be on Focus. But we funny. say, I was, I was so honored. It was such so humbling that they asked me to come. We just put it in these pseudo-humble terms to mask what is really us saying, look at me. Yeah. How's that I, one work in marriage? Well, it works by 
by stopping and saying, how can we find ways to serve one another without drawing attention to ourselves? Right. That's the, that's the issue. I mean, serving one another and then saying, did you notice? That's problematic. So <laughs> Marianne and I were at a marriage conference years ago, and I remember the speaker said, I've made it a pattern in my marriage to make sure that my wife's car is filled with gas, that she doesn't have to worry about that. And I thought, I turned to Marianne and said, would you like that? Do you mind filling? And she said, well, it'd be nice. <laughs> so I thought, okay, this now the gauntlet is laid down. So I've tried to make it my my goal to keep her car filled with gas. And I'm, I'll say, how's, how's the car? Do you need me to run out and fill it up with gas? So when I do, like there, there are times I'll go out and say, oh, it's low. I'm going to go fill it up with gas. When I do, I pull it back in, but I keep thinking, I hope she notices. I hope she's going to come back in and say, thank you so much for filling. I want the accolades for my actions. I, I don't want to to just uh, do it and accept the Lord's gratitude as, as my reward. I want a little... <laughs> kind of doing a good well, deed in, in secret. That's right. It's really frustrating. And yet in marriage, we've got to do that. We've got to regularly. I say to Marianne all the time, somehow there are clean clothes in my in my drawer. And there weren't yesterday and they're there today. And I didn't see it happen, but it happened. And she's not looking for the pat on the back, but I say, thank you. I, I don't want to take these little things that we do for one another for granted. It's a part of being proactively kind and then not seeking glory for ourselves when we do something. Gee, I was going to try to get away with the gas thing, but now you just crush me with the laundry. Man, what else can I do? Yeah, that's true. The clothes are showing up and I don't have a very thankful heart about that. Doggone it, Bob. Why did we invite you? I know. No. Hey, let me ask you, uh, Philippians 2 is also an area of scripture. I think we've got First. Corinthians covered, but Philippians 2, what is that verse and why is it significant when it comes to marriage? Well, this this is a lesson I learned early on. When Marianne and I were dating, she came to me at some point. We've been dating for a couple years. She said, what do you think about us memorizing some Bible verses together? And here's what I thought. I thought, well, why would you memorize them? I mean, if you need them, they're in the book. You just go look them up. I mean, <laughs> Easy reference. Memorize. Yeah. Did you a, say that? I didn't know because we're dating. <laughs> we were dating, so I said, "Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a that's wonderful." I, I'm thinking crazy, but okay, I'll go along with that <laughs> to get the girl. Then I said, "Did you have any verses in mind?" And she said, "Well, I was actually thinking about a whole chapter." Well, I I did this bug-eyed look like. A chapter? Are you out of who memorizes a chapter in the Bible? But I said to her, "Wow, you know." I didn't say much more than that. I said, "Wow." <laughs> I said, "Did you have a chapter in mind?" She said, "I was thinking Philippians chapter two. and I went, "Oh, like I knew what that was." <laughs> I didn't know. If it I was, love that honesty. I didn't know if it was Old Testament <laughs> yeah, or New right. Testament. Yeah. I was still. Do oh, okay. Well, I think she'd picked it out because of the boy she was dating, because it's all about humility. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. So we started memorizing this together. And I don't know that we got all the way through, but when we got to verse 3, it kind of locked on. I memorized it quickly. I, I didn't have to work at it. I think it was just God saying, you're going to need this for the rest of your life. Mm. Do nothing from selfishness. And I've done the work now. The Greek word for nothing means nothing, okay? <laughs> do Not nothing something. from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And it goes on to say, have this mind in you, or, or do, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. 
I'm convinced 90% of the marriage problems I've seen in my life, you apply that verse. You say, have this mind in you, look out for the other, the interests of the others, make it your goal to please someone else. You'd fix most of the problems. Now there are, there's a 10% factor out there, right? But most of the problems we have in marriage are because of pride and selfishness. And we've got to attend to that and we've got to be cultivating humility. It's really foundational to what healthy love looks like in a marriage. It's so true, Bob. I mean, you were hitting it. Well, Bob brought up how trying to memorize Philippians chapter 2 has helped him kind of choose humility. Greg, what stands out to you from that conversation or that chapter of Scripture? Yeah, I really... I love Philippians 2.3 that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, because I think those two things, selfish ambition and then vain conceit, that's how pride will always manifest itself Mm. as we experience conflict. In Proverbs 13.10, it says that pride leads to conflict. And how it looks is, you know, that, that idea of selfish ambition is when I put my gain, my interest, what I'm wanting over Aaron, regardless of the strife that it's probably going to cause. Mm-hmm. So I want what I want. Yes. Yeah. The the one, though, that, that I think that more so that, that I'm guilty of is the vain conceit. And that's when we project an attitude that, that I'm always right. Which, I mean, John, you know me, and typically I am you, right, so yeah, it's shocking. I was going to that, say, that's uh, what's unusual about Exactly, this. but there, the part of it, though, that, that always convicts me is the Greek meaning is that we're excessively proud of our own opinion. Mm. And I, that happens a lot. The way that I see whatever's going on between Aaron and I, my view of how we should solve it, or mm. just any of it. Yeah. I'm excessively proud mm. of how I see all that. Mm. So it's I've hard. I never noticed that. It is, it is shocking. Are you serious or joking about that? I am that? joking. Okay. <laughs> John, we've worked together for how many years? I know, but the way she delivered that, I was <laughs> like, oh, my word. Face, right? I've been, working, I've been working on my straight face. Yeah. I mean, the Lord has used my dear bride to pound humility out of me. And it, it, there's still a ton there because mm. at one point she said, why is it always me? Why, why am I the problem all the time? It's like, well, because, but I mean, uh, that's pride, right? Did you talk about the sin nature and No, I was comparing us to you oh, and just gotcha. thinking. <laughs> well, and I think what's important, though, about that yeah. is that there's got to be an awareness on my part when I'm acting out of pride. And that's why that vain conceit, that selfish ambition, that's evidence. Like mm-hmm. that, that can catch me where I'm going, yeah, I'm really locked into to my opinion and how I'm seeing this, and yeah. I'm very proud of how I'm looking at this. And so if we can see it and, and catch that awareness, then it's easier to move from that to a place of humility. But, it, I mean, that's easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, I was actually sitting with a couple this morning in a counseling session, and it was so interesting because the wife said, yeah, he's been apologizing lately. And I said, well, is that something new? Like, has he, did he not used to apologize? And she said, no, he did, but it's different. Hmm. And I said, what is it? And she said, humility. He comes to me with a humble heart Hmm. and he truly seeks forgiveness from the place of humbleness. And she said, it draws her toward him, Hmm. which is exactly what the scripture says, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hmm. And what I saw today is that this wife 
was more than happy to give grace to her humble husband who was coming to her to seek forgiveness. Yeah. Those are some great reflections on humility. And we're going to kind of turn the page now and talk about something related to some degree, and that is safety in the relationship. And uh, Greg, we're going to hear from you, a talk that you gave a few years ago about the need for us to build a relationship with our spouse in which they feel safe. So let me talk real quick about what, what do I mean by safety? What, what does that mean? I mean, that's one of those words that's like, well, I sort of get what you're saying, huh? Help me to understand. What I would say that safety, emotional safety really means is that when you feel free to open up and to reveal who you really are, that deep stuff, your deepest thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams. I mean, that stuff that, that we all have that we're not just going to share with anybody, right? As a matter of fact, if you think about it, the people that you share your deep stuff that's inside your heart is really only with people I bet you that you feel safe with, if you really thought about it. We feel safe when we feel that we can open up and share that stuff and trust and believe that our spouse will handle that stuff with the utmost care, will listen, will understand, will validate, will cherish and honor who we really are. See, I think when that is happening, then, then we start to feel safe. So, so really the question becomes, so how do we create that? Because I don't think there's a person in here that wouldn't agree that, that we want homes, right? We want a marriage that feels like the safest place on earth. I mean, doesn't that sound good? And that's what I want. I fail at that though a lot. So let's talk about how do we get there? Well, actually, you know, the answer is right there in the scriptures. It's really right there. What I did is I spent a year, I do marriage seminars around the country. So over the year, we surveyed about 10,000 people. Just asked them, what, what happens that makes you feel safe? And, and what happens that makes you feel unsafe in a relationship? When we analyze what helps people feel safe, we, we realized that there was really more of an attitude and then some actions. All the responses, really, you could divide them up into those two things, and it's really right here. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but what? Nourishes it and cherishes it. Something though about those two words, nourish and cherish, I think, is really the answer. So what's nice is I don't think it's, this, it's really that complicated. It's taking those th two things and figuring out how do, we, how do we implement them. So let's talk about first the word cherish. I believe that cherish is an attitude and that attitude says basically is that I get how incredibly valuable my wife is. Now, I'll tell you, when I'm mad at her, frustrated, hurt, disappointed, I mean, I certainly lose sight of how incredibly valuable she is. But you know, the truth is, is that my wife is extremely valuable. Not because I say it so, because her heavenly father made that very, very clear. Listen to what he says about my wife he said that my wife Erin was made in his image. That alone makes her valuable. He said, okay, that she is his treasured possession. Love that one. The God of this universe says that my wife is his treasured possession. Jesus said that my wife is his glorious inheritance. Wow. And one of my very favorites is for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See what that verse is saying? That what you value, where your value is, there will your heart is going to be open to that thing. That's why for me, 
When we want to help someone to feel safe, it's because I get how valuable you are. One of my favorite examples of this, actually something I saw in my parents' relationship. And so one Thanksgiving, we were at my parents' house. And so my parents get into this big argument. They're fixing something, and boom, an argument breaks out. It sort of escalates to the point where, where my mom heads off in one direction, my dad heads off in the other. As my mom starts to walk away, all the women just naturally just go right to her to comfort and, you know, do whatever else you do quite well. And me and my son, we're watching my dad walk away, and I'm going... Well, you know, I said, uh, we should probably help out. And I said, hey, Garrison, I said, well, go talk to Grandpa. He likes you better anyway. <laughs> and, and so Garrison's like, me? He goes, you're the adult. You go talk to him. I'm like, all right. I said, hey, Dad, whoa. I said, hey, hold up. And he goes, what? And I said, hey, I can see you're really upset. Yeah. I said, I, I literally know exactly what to do in this situation. What? I said, I know. I said, I, I really do know what to do for you to help you out. He goes, all right. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the bookshelf and I'm going to grab one of the books that you've written and I'm going to read to you what you should be doing for mom right now. <laughs> well, the door that slammed in my face, I think was evidence that I don't think he thought that was real funny, but I still think it was funny. So I waited and I came back, you know, a minute or so later and knocked on his door and he's like, where is it? Hey, it's Greg. Come on in. And so I find him at the computer but as I walk around, I was just going to go around, sit, he's in his chair, and just kind of put my hands on his shoulders, and, hey, I, I'm sorry, how can I help? Well, as I walked around, I, I can see what he's looking at. He's not online. He's actually reading a document, a Word document. At the top of the document, my mom's name is Norma. It said, why Norma is so valuable. I thought, what, what? I said, no, what is this? What, what are you looking at here? He goes, well, he goes, yeah, a number of years ago, he goes, I, I was thinking about your mom. I just started to write some things about her and what I love about her and how valuable she is and put them on the computer. And then, you know, I add to it from time to time. I kid you not, hundreds and hundreds of little words and phrases about my mom. And I said, all right, but, but I said, why are you looking at that right now? You're, you're mad at her. He goes, I know. He goes, what I've learned to do, he goes, usually I just would come in my office and I'd sit and I'd stew about how mad I was and she had no right and who is she and la, 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 and I'd stay mad at her. He goes, well, what I do now is I make myself open this up. And he goes, I start to read through the list. He goes, you know, I get to the first couple, I'm like, that's not true. And why did I put that? I'm going to erase that one for sure. <laughs> but, but he goes, you know, and after a moment, I settle in and I remember that you've got a pretty amazing mom. I thought, whoa, because I'm telling you, that, that's what he's doing. Where your treasure is, what you value, there will your heart be open. And that's what helps him get to a different place, simply by doing that, which I thought is great. Does that make sense? Number one, it comes from the fact that we cherish our spouse, our, our kids. But you know what? Attitude without action, though, sometimes can be meaningless. And that's why I think the nourish part is all about an all about action, to treat our spouse, to treat our kids in valuable ways. To back up. I see your value, and I want to treat you in valuable ways. I think when we do that, we begin to create safety. So I love that verse, let us not love with mere words or in tongue, but with what? With action. Greg, I remember when I first heard about that, uh, why Norma is valuable. Uh, list started to develop, and you looked at that 
Um, I think that's a wonderful thing. And I actually got inspired when I first heard about this and I wrote down why Dina is valuable to me. And I put it out uh, by my bedside just to remind me. And she looked at it and she's like, what's that? And I said, well, I, it wasn't quite the same context, but I just said, these are things I want to always remember about you, the good stuff. This is the heart, the character. Um, it's going to be different from couple to couple. How do we remember to be grateful for our spouse? How do we get into that kind of mindset? Um, warts and all, the way that they're wired by God, all the differences, how do we find that value? It, it has to begin with a decision. And, and I have to decide at some point that I am going to notice the things that I appreciate, the things that I value about Aaron. It, it's so easy in the midst of busyness, just not even think about that. It's easy when I'm hurt and frustrated with Aaron to ignore mm. all that truth, the good things that are true about her. And yet when, when I consciously make a decision to notice, rather it's at the end of the night by going, hey, by the way, thank you so much for fill in the blank. Or if it's keeping that list on our phone or by the bedside, there has to be some decision on my part that that I'm going to fill my mind with what is true about Aaron. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to find those things. I'm going to notice them. Um, otherwise, it it's so easy just to not even think about those things. And so then I'm missing it, or to go, that's not true. I'm mad at her. This is what's true about her, and and fill in all the terrible things yeah. that frustrate me or irritate oh, me. Um, I, I mean, nothing comes to mind right now because, <laughs> you know, you, you're a perfect John's here, amazing. so you can well, share. It's thinking, safe. Thinking <laughs> back to a previous conversation, I think you don't make enough chocolate chip cookies for him. Oh. That's, that's about the but only I bring thing. But I bring him his favorite shape. drink. She yes. did. See, she, that's a great example yes. that, that I could choose to focus on the fact that, that Aaron called me before our taping right now and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to grab something to drink. Would you like something? And she brought me. My favorite chai tea, and and so I have that. But because otherwise, again, it's easy if we're in a season to where we're just disconnected or or in conflict, and something's gone on to where we're, we're we've hurt each other. It, I'd, I'll just miss all of that. And at the end of the day, then I'm going, yeah, look who I'm married to, yeah. this person that does this wrong and mm-hmm. this wrong and this thing. Well, I think it's important too to understand their personality and how they are made up, how God made them. Mm -hmm. Because I know often we get frustrated with, you know, the way they do something or a personality trait versus just understanding they're not doing that to irritate you. They're just kind of how they're made and not excusing poor behavior. But for example, Greg is a peacemaker. He likes peace. He wants peace. So it's harder for him to confront than it is for me. Now, I know that might be Surprising. (laughs) Yeah, you're surprised. I want peace, so I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) But when I understood that's that's his tendency, it just helped me to understand that his propensity towards desiring peace is going to impact a lot of his behavior naturally. And so for me to just understand that, it it brought a lot of sensitivity to that and grace. Hmm. Like, I know that he is, he, he doesn't want to have huge confrontations and that's hard for him. So when he does it, I know that's a big deal. Yeah. And just think if you were just like me, we would be confronting 
everyone <laughs> for everything. And Greg brings such a gentle balance yeah. to us. Well, let's though, there was that one thing we wanted to confront John about. Let's so do it. In the spirit be of, episode. We better finish time. up so my, we can confront him. <laughs> well, we're going to link over to some helpful tools for you to better understand who you are and who your spouse is. There's actually a little personality test that we're going to link over to in the show notes. It's fun, and I think it has been really beneficial for us to think through how are we wired and how do we make the best of that. Well, and so, it uses little animals, so you'll it's easy to remember. It is. Yeah, it's a great little thing. Look for the four animals personality test in the show notes. And then we've been talking throughout this podcast about the terrific book by Greg and Aaron, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, which is one of the best resources that we can think of for getting a better, healthier perspective on loving your spouse. Uh, it's available for a gift of any amount to the ministry today, so please uh, hit the show notes, click the link, and donate to Focus on the Family, either a monthly pledge or one-time gift of any amount. And uh, we'll express our appreciation for your partnership by sending crazy little thing called marriage to you. Also in the show notes, we'll link over to a free online marriage assessment, which takes just a few minutes of your time and really will help you evaluate how you're doing as a couple It'll provide some great talking points for you. And the link to take that free assessment is in the show notes. We certainly want to wish you and your spouse a happy Valentine's Day. And uh, just know we're here 365. Uh, we are here to help you in any way we can. So uh, hit the website, give us a call, um, and let us know how we can help. By the way, our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Well, for Greg and Aaron Smalley and the entire team here, I'm John Fuller, and thanks for listening to this season of the Loving Well Podcast. <laughs>